It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. Listen, I love the Philadelphia Eagles, but we all know drafting has just been their forte. That's the opponent. Shake his hand and get to the damn locker room. Whether it's the fight Bills, the birds, the fly guys, the process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. I mean, the Eagles had that game, and I hate the Saints. Like, put them at the top of my list now. With the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, the Vikings are up there. Screw them. The Patriots. I hate the Saints now. And John Mita. Jimmy Butler was your best player. So this offseason, I don't care how many millions it takes. SoundCloud, iTunes, what is up? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Happy Love Podcast. We don't tweet, but you can follow us anyway. John Mita, what's going on, my friend? Oh, Joe, 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 Joe. No, nothing much, man. Just, um, what can I say? Um, you know, just surviving. Surviving in Philadelphia. That is the uh, that is the term that I would use. Are you on the Eagles roster? Because if that's your mentality and your mindset, then you must be one of the players at this point because that's all that damn football team is doing is surviving somehow. Yeah, somehow. They're some like way. a cat with nine lives, dude. They they really are. And it's also thank you to the Cowboys and their poor play as of late. Yes. Before. yeah, I revel so. in their misery for the record, but most Philadelphia fans do, of course. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's the best part of my week, to be quite honest. It's, it's like, where can I go to root against the Cowboys and <laughs> make sure that everybody's on my side? So, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Well, so. the Philadelphia Eagles are still alive. You were at the link, I'm assuming, on uh, Monday night. They get to 6-7. and seven. They are in a virtual tie for first place in the NFC East. I've got a prediction for you I'll make shortly. But uh, what was it like to be at the link when obviously so much has been going wrong? You know, you, you include the bye, and it had been four weeks since Eagles won a football game. Three losses, the bye prior to that, and we've seen a ton go down, injuries, poor play, coaching, you know, question marks. Every player on the roster basically questioned and then there they are down 17-3 to at halftime against the Giants who stink, and they're trying to lose, basically. Sheli Manning's swan song. Um, what was it like at the link? It was – the move was just horrendous. It was just everybody was just – it was just like, here we go again. You know, it just had that feeling like, really? Are we going to lose to another, what, 2-9 and nine football team? Yeah. Like, this can't be happening. Like – I know where, you know, the Eagles are banged up and everything else, but it's like you have to find a way to win that game. Like, again, they go in as, you know, 10-point favorites. Now, those who have been betting the Eagles the last couple of weeks are not you know, making good money. <laughs> good, good luck to you. You know, they were favored 10 against Miami. We all saw what happened there. Um, it, it was just the same field. Like, first half goes off, and, and the Eagles, uh, there's a, a receiver that is just terrorizing our defense. And again, Jim Schwartz, my favorite man of the year. I just don't understand. Like, he's just leaving his cornerbacks on an island to get torched. And there is no help with the safeties over the top. He just wants to play single high safety. If your receivers are getting torched, you can't play that type of defense. 
It, it, it's just mind-blowing. And, and, and again, the offense, right? We've seen it all year, Joe. It's the same old story. No creativity in the playbook. Same old things over and over. And then you find out through the course of the game, courtesy of you and others texting me, it's like, oh, this receiver's out for the game. This, this person's going down. Lane Johnson goes out. It was just so down and somber. And it's like, hey, I guess we'll stick around to see what happens. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, I don't tend to leave games early. I, I left. Uh, I mean, I guess it was. You could probably count on one hand in the, what, 12, 15 years you've been a season ticket holder? Has it been that yeah. long? Probably close, right? There's been only a few games I had to leave that. One was Seattle when they came in and it was an absolute snow game. Mike McMahon was the quarterback, and we were down literally like 43 nothing at halftime. So that was a good time to get out of Dodge. But it's just – and then, and then uh, it's just the same old stuff over and over. And then it was like a tale of two halves. This is what I don't understand. Like Doug Peterson in his playbook, he got so creative in the second half, it was unreal. Yeah, I go, they're sprinting Carson out of the pocket, and, and, and guys were making plays for him. That's the biggest thing that I saw, Joe. These young guys that had the opportunity, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, guys were making plays. And you look at our other starting receivers that we held on, you know, the Mac Collins of the world, see you later, Joy Miami. And none of these guys were making plays for weeks. Some guy like Greg Ward, who was sitting on your practice squad, and you're like, I don't know if he's good enough to make the roster. He comes in and, you know, makes an immediate impact. Yeah. So, Let me ask you this, John May. Let me cut you off sure. here. Eagles win 23-16 yeah. in overtime. Yeah. They get to 6-7. and seven. They, they stay alive. We all know yeah. what's at stake the next couple of weeks. And what, yeah. you know, could end up being a lost season – could end up being a team that wins the division with a terrible record by divisional standards, and then they get blown out in the first round, but we'll let that play out. What came first, the chicken or the egg sort of thing? Like, is it a one or two guys, a Boston Scott, an Ortega Whiteside make a play and everybody goes, we can do this? Or was it Carson Wentz? You know, like, where do you think it kind of started as far as finally somebody stepping up Getting something done positive, and then the then it snowballs. I mean, you see it in in the sport I cover all the time in hockey. You go out, and you have a good shift. You spend time in the offensive zone. The next group comes over the boards, and they roll with it, and you get momentum. Right? You have a good drive on offense in football. The defense comes out, and gets a stand, you get the ball right back. That can happen so often. You get confidence, you get mojo, you get swagger. Guys start to believe again. And here's the thing: like when the sky was falling. As much as it was falling in my world as well, from a fan standpoint, the thing I kept coming back to is, how can these guys be this bad? They've all gotten to this level. They've all gotten to the NFL. We've seen them, for the most part, make plays. You know, and and then all of a sudden, it was like literally nobody on offense could do a goddamn thing, and it felt like it went on for months, and I just never understood how you can't just flip the switch and get it back, how one guy couldn't just deliver once in a big spot to then eventually kickstart everything. We finally saw it, albeit against a terrible Giants team. But I feel like now, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, this should help them carry over into the Washington game. Instead of going into a first half going, woe is me, what's going to happen that's terrible, 
you know, like waiting for something bad to happen, waiting to fall behind 14-0, 10-0. I feel like the team now should go in with a little bit of confidence and start making plays earlier in Sunday's game. That remains to be seen, of course. But I guess my question for you in a long-winded way is, why did it happen? What what kickstarted thing? What came first? I, th- I think that it's confidence, Joe. It, it's Carson regaining some of his confidence. And then I think that injected to the other players. And I, I, I think that's kind of what happened. Like, again, Lane Johnson goes down, and you're like, oh, God. I know. Uh, what, it, what is he going to do here? Because, you know, when that, when that right tackle position is not buttoned up, but I, I think Doug did a great job of, like, moving him out of the pocket. When this guy's outside the pocket, he has probably the highest QB rating in all of football. So then begs the question, why isn't Doug Peterson doing that more? Yeah. But I think it was just confidence. Like, he gets in a rhythm, man. He is all about rhythm. Yep. If he starts out hot, that's why I love when he goes into the hurry-up. I think it's one of those things where once he gets in the hurry-up, he hits a couple guys, he hits a couple strikes. And the guy, believe it or not, he plays unbelievable in the rain. His record when he's playing in games in the rain, he just, I don't know, he plays better. It's kind of weird. But it, it was just confidence, and it was so nice to see. Like, he needed this for him moving yes. forward in yes. his career. I think it was huge. You know, there's so much talk. Is he not clutch? Well, he's got the weapons. Does he have the weapons? Blah, blah, blah. Can he get it done? Then there's all the, the people in the full society. Oh, we kept the wrong quarterback. Right. And, and it was just so huge for him to come back. The beautiful thing is they tie the ball game up, they go into overtime, they win the coin toss, and he drives it right down their throat, scores the touchdown, and it's ball game. You know, if they had to settle for a field goal there and then give the Giants the opportunity that they could come back, just the way that happened and yep. the way that transpired, I think it's huge moving forward. And, a lot of people say, do you want them to make the playoffs? That's another question. Do you not want them? Obviously, we want this team to make the playoffs. You want everyone on this roster, especially the young guns, to, to, to have that taste of what it's like to be in that type of atmosphere. That's a great it's point. And, and the other the other side of it to me is this team, and you on our Open we play here on the Brotherly Love podcast, you say it. This team, they can't draft. So I don't want the 12th pick as opposed to the 18th pick, if it means I'd rather this team, listen, I don't want the Dallas Cowboys to ever win the division, ever. I don't care if the Eagles win it at 5-11 and some year. It's better than being second place at 5-11. and you, you with me? So it's not like the Eagles crush it on first-round picks, and it's not like I ever want to see any of these other teams in the NFC East that make me want to puke have success. Well, the crazy part is, too, I mean, there's a team that can finish 9-7 and seven and they can host a home playoff. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. Yep. Which, which would be great. You know, home field advantage is, Listen, is a big thing, especially when it comes to playoff time. And, and teams that have gotten in on that sixth position have been able to make some noise in the past. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Giants. Yeah. So, a, couple and, of years, and, a couple of years ago, the we had we talked about on this podcast that the NFC South, I think the, the division winner was like 7-9. and nine. And I was like, nope, they should give up their spot. And I will still stand by that. But if you're 8-8 eight and eight or better, I'm okay with it. And right now, here's my prediction for you, John Mita. All right, as bad as it looked during that Giants game, and I couldn't believe how things were playing out, I kept thinking to myself, wouldn't it just be so appropriate for this Eagles team to beat the Giants, come back and win, 
to beat the Redskins. The Cowboys lose to the Rams this weekend, which is, a, I think, a good possibility. possibility. Right. So do I. You could win so- the division against the Cowboys December the 22nd with a game to play. You could be 8-7, and seven, clinch the division, if I'm not mistaken, at that point, because the Cowboys then would have nine losses, and the Eagles could literally, and I use this term loosely, rest their starters the last game. Am I missing something? It's certainly in the realm of... Could you imagine that? If they they go the eight and seven, they clinch the division, they rest their starters, they finish eight and eight. Yeah, absolutely. And they give themselves their their own. A bye week, yep. It would be I mean, it would be a a joke for the NFL. It'd be a complete sham for everybody else. But again, at the top of the food chain in the NFC least, if you will, at least this season, and uh, hosting a playoff game. So that's my prediction for you. Well, wouldn't a beautiful – and listen, I, I think there's a strong case for that prediction because right now I, I think the Dallas Cowboys have, have quit. Have quit on their coach. You know, Jerry wow. Jones, he gives the, the state of the franchise every week. They don't run the football anymore. I mean, their offensive coordinator, it's puzzling what they do there too because they have one of the top five running backs in all of football, and they don't even use them. You know, Dak's been throwing the ball all over the schoolyard and everything else. But again, they don't control the clock. They just and then when they get down, if they get down again, if the Rams can come out and step on them early, I, I think they'll just flat out quit. They know that they, this guy's not going to be their head coach this year, and I don't think anyone cares to be honest with you. So again, what a deflator! So for all Eagles Nation out there, we definitely got to be cheering for the Rams at four twenty-five. Obviously, the Eagles need to handle business against the Washington Redskins and and build on their confidence and put another W on the standing board. But I, I, I really think that the Rams are going to get – and could you imagine going into that Dallas game at home with everything on the line and we just put them away? I mean, it would be so fitting if we could make that happen. It would be the third straight year for the quote-unquote Christmas home game where the Eagles could sew something up. Number one seed against Oakland a couple years ago winning, yeah. uh, basically keeping their season alive against the Texans and having a shot at the division. Um, yep. That was a season-saving win last year against the Texans. And this could essentially, again, potentially be division-clinching uh, game or, if nothing else, keeping things alive for Week 17. But, of course, they got to go down and beat the Redskins this weekend. Anything else jump out to you about the birds, the injuries, the play calls, the emergence of Boston Scott? I'll let you take it any way you want here in the next minute or two. Well, I mean, I, again, I just like what I saw from the second half of, of, of what Doug Peterson did with the play calling. Open up the book. Let Carson be Carson. You know what I mean? I think this year was a year where they basically tried to make him into such a pocket passer. They were afraid with the injury history. They didn't want to get him hurt. But if you played scared like that, eventually I think they're going to get hurt. So, let the kid go and just let him do the things to make him so special. So I'd like to see that defensively. Again, you know, we, we got to get more pressure on the quarterback. You know, the front four is just not getting it done. You look at Brandon Graham. You look at Fletcher Cox. You look at, you know, Derek Barnett. He's been out with an ankle injury. He's been disappointing, Joe. I mean, they're talking about the 14th overall pick. And I think he has like 13 sacks in three years. Like, Essentially, as you come in as a rookie defensive end, you like to see, okay, rookie season, four to five sacks, right? Then yeah. second year, maybe it bumps it up to like eight. 
then third year, you're kind of expecting like double digit sack numbers. Right. And we're not getting that type of production. It was nice to see Benny Curry come out of the shoebox this week and make two sacks on his own. It'd be nice to see him come and, and bring that again. But again, we're going up against a rookie quarterback. It's imperative for Jim Schwartz to bring the heat on this kid. He's not going to be, you know, like these other veteran quarterbacks. That are, but, but please, my God, if there's a receiver or somebody that is just torching you, for the love of God, can you double cover him? Because if I have to see another receiver that goes against this and just torches the secondary for, you know, five, six receptions, 150 yards and two touchdowns, I'm going to lose my damn mind. Yeah, and again, a lot of it is the lack of a adjusting quickly enough, I think, for the fan base. Like, we all see it, everybody's seeing it, and they wait until halftime or they wait until the fourth quarter. You know, they talked, um, some of the players talked about, or I read on Twitter, I, I can't remember if it was, you know, from one of the talking heads or some of the actual players on the team, but they went to more of a zone defense as the game moved on and had great success with it. You know, man-to-man early, you're getting beat. Why do you wait so long? Why do you wait till you're down 17-3? to They almost ran out of time to come back, you know? That's the thing that's been frustrating. Why does the play calling, why do you go four, five, six drives before you adjust? If it's not working, switch it up. Uh, that's the thing that bothers me the most. And I found some comments from Carson Wentz very interesting after the game on uh, in his press conference and, and into yesterday on Tuesday where he talked a lot about, like, well, we just we didn't practice with those guys or we didn't practice that throughout the week or, you know, this is the first time we ran that with, like, what were you doing all week? You knew Aguilar was a game-time decision. You know Jeffrey's been banged up. You went into the game with just three wide receivers active. They have four wide receiver sets in football. Five wide receiver sets. You couldn't even do that from the start of the game if you wanted. Well, it's 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 so gross negligence on the front office right. part. So why Again, so why are like the if, so if, if Perkins is a potential wide receiver because of an injury, why was he not getting reps during the week? I I, I totally agree. And what is that? What it, basically, what does that also tell you or spell to you? It's basically saying that they dumbed down the playbook or just made it easier, and they let just Carson have the feel as opposed to maybe being so strategic and so complicated. You know, do tailor the offense toward his strength. And the other thing uh-huh. that it tells me is that football has changed immensely. These guys, they don't practice like they used to. They're not in pads anymore because of the CBA. And they had the one pad practice, right, that was so hyped up. And then they come out flat, you know? Yeah. And then they all bitched about it. They were like, oh, you know, in the year. It's like one pad of practice. It's like, come on. Yeah. You know, and and the reason why he did it, he did it to send a message. Like, come on, take this a little more serious. Yeah. I mean. Hey, I'm I'm glad you bring that up. I was saying this during the broadcast, Monday Night Football. Don't you feel like a guy like Boston Scott playing for his life, playing for a salary, playing for a new contract, had what you want emotionally from a guy, whereas the guys that are on seven-year deals look like they checked out of this football team and that game? Like, it was crazy to me. Like, this kid, every time he's touched the ball pretty much all year long in spot duty, has brought it. Right, If it was a blowout loss, he comes in for some touches late, garbage time, he plays hard. Given a chance in the second half Monday, he plays hard. Like The passion, the emotion, he wants to run somebody over. He finishes every play. And I'm not telling you Boston Scott is the next Marshall Falk or Brian Westbrook or pick your run. But it's just, to me, 
he seemed like he gave a damn. Whereas a lot of those guys I was concerned about for large stretches the last month about their give-a-shit factor. Yeah, I mean, he looked hungry. The young guys looked hungry. Another guy like Greg Ward. Yes. He's on the practice squad, but he's not making a big salary. No. He's taking advantage of his opportunity. Meanwhile, Nelson Aguilar can't play. Yeah, the first time the guy gets activated, he's got more catches than Matt Collins in two quarters of work where a guy's been playing for six straight weeks. And my God, just to go into that game with three wide receivers. The other thing is, listen, we have two very talented tight ends. Doug's got to get more creative with the tight end. Yes. That one route that he threw to Dallas Goddard. I'm like, what was that route? Yeah, it was a tight end steam route. Our, our tight ends can run. We, we run less 12 personnel than anybody in the league, which is so crazy considering all the injuries that we've had at wide receiver this year and also to the fact that we have a couple good ones. It's one thing where you don't want to run a lot of 12 personnel because you have one good tight end and one that's not so good, but we got two good ones, so let's take advantage of it. It's just so frustrating. As fans, we see all this. It's like, and again, and again, like, honestly, God, even if we make, I I hope the guy we make a strong playoff run, but in the offseason, you know, some of these assistant coaches and coordinators, they got to get zipped out of the building. Yeah, I agree. And even Booger McFarland talked about, and I hate, I can't stand Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland. To me, it's the worst crew. Monday Night Football could do so much well, better. Well, hold on, Mr. Worst is Joe Tessitore and Jason Witten. I mean, no, they're all bad. I I can't stand Joe Tessitore. I just can't I, stand I him. Every play is the greatest play in the history of every play. Like, it's unbelievable. Eli Manning throws a touchdown pass, and he's like, Eli Manning, the redemption. Like, at the end of the day, they lost the game. Like, I don't care, you know? And, like... <laughs> It's just he's so like, God, he's so over the top. drives me crazy. But Booger McFarlane was calling out the technique of the defensive backs. He's like, they have talented players. Their technique's terrible. That's coaching. That's practice. That's That's preparation. That's Corey Umland, who I've wanted gone for years. Yep. All right. I think I got it off my chest, and that was a win, by the way. (laughs) So. Yeah. um, All right, Johnny Mita, the uh, New England Patriots – are in the uh, news again. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but yeah, we won't. A couple of things. Uh, one, they were getting booed apparently on Sunday, and a lot of people made a big deal out of this. And yeah, even some Philly ridiculous. fans I heard on on sports radio in Philadelphia. Oh, I don't want to say a holier than thou, but this whole like, oh, I can't believe the Patriots would boo their team. Six Super Bowl. Who are we kidding? That's what we do. Philadelphia fans boo. We do it better than anybody else, I'd like to think, and I wear it like a badge of honor. I'm going to the game. I don't care if they won every championship since I've been alive. You play like garbage, you deserve to get booed. That's my take. It always has been. As a paying fan, you can do whatever you want within reason in my book. I don't care if they've won 10 games, 10 straight years. I don't care if they have the greatest coach and quarterback of all time. They have stunk by their standards for at least five weeks. They barely beat the Eagles, who stink. They can't score any points. So if the offense stinks for a month straight and you're at home, boo the hell out of them. Why are we so soft? And for Eagles fans and people around the globe to be going, I can't believe the Patriots fans would be booing their team. Why? That's what you do when your team stinks. You boo. You boo the hell out of them. 
I couldn't agree with you more. You know what it shows? This is what going to me shows. And I sent you a clip. I don't know if you read that when it was a re- reference. Uh, Kyle Van Noy was yeah. interviewed by, you know, some guy from one of the Comcast up there in Boston. But basically what booing means to me is that we know this team can do better and you need to do your job better. Yep. And we paid all this money to come see. We know you have it in you. You can be better. We expect you to try hard, to play hard, to, like you said before, give a crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you don't do that, we're going to let you know about it. That's what makes Philadelphia one of the best places to be the sports fan on earth. Do you know why? Because we're informed. Because we care. Yes. We understand. And we expect we expect you to play your tails off. Yep. Like you said before, you know, if they're not boring the Patriots because they're like, oh, my God, they're 10-3. Listen, I can see why they're upset. If you look at the Patriots, look at who they beat. Okay, the teams, they, they haven't beat anybody yet. Every team that they've lost to this year has all been good. Kansas City, good football team. Baltimore, good football team. You know, they haven't beaten anybody. And, like, the offense stinks right now. It's probably the worst it's been in the Brady-Belichick era. And and so they, and people want to get soft. My God, and the players, like, I mean, the one the linebacker, Calvin Ailey, he's like, well, you know, it's kind of disrespectful. Why? You know, I mean, are they supposed to cure you? If you're at your regular job and you're not doing a great job, you expect your coworkers to rally around and start cheering you and trying to pump you up? This doesn't work like that. Right. So you boo the I mean, you I, boo the refs when they screw up. You boo the other yeah. team when they're celebrating or when they, you know, have a great play, and you boo yeah. your team when they're stinking up the joint. Absolutely. That's what it's about. And you boo the fans like, wearing the opponent's team's colors in your building like that's what you do that i mean i don't know any other way i mean that people just you just expect better you know it's not a personal attack on the players no necessarily well it's could be. Like, well some of it <laughs> yeah yeah maybe i should right. let, let, let's get to their scandal this is yeah. scandal like <laughs> number 700 and here's what <laughs> and, and to me this one you know it it's could be the most damning because yeah. I think it ties a lot of things together. And I haven't read too much about it, but it's my understanding the New England Patriots recently had a staff member at a Bengals game filming the Bengals sideline somewhat exclusively. And they were there for production purposes for an in-house show that the Patriots produce, right? And a lot of teams do these things, right? Behind the scenes, yeah, whatever. Sure. Fans eat it up. Now, sure. given the shadiness of the Patriots and the fact that this employee was filming the sideline of their next opponent. Hmm. Two plus two equals four. So here's where I'm at on all this. Let's take it at face value and say, yes, they got nailed for essentially cheating again. Now, wouldn't it then, if you were to look bigger picture, make some sense as to why Bill uh, Bill Belichick is always smarter than everybody else. We give him so much credit for being smarter, a step ahead always prepared. Nobody prepares like Belichick. Nobody's smarter than Belichick. Well, maybe that's because he has the answers to the freaking test. Yeah, I mean... Right? I mean, if you know what's coming on the test and you screw it up, you're dumber than you look. Well, I mean, we kind of touched on this when we were talking about the Houston Astros. Right. You know, knowing what the pitches are. That essentially is knowing what the playbook is. If you know what's going to happen next or what the signals are, 
That gives you a competitive advantage. Now, again, he sent this employee. The fact is that he focuses on their sideline for eight minutes. It's all about, it should be about this filming this guy because apparently he's an advanced scout. So it's what, you know, he it's his job to scout the next opponent. He goes to the game, you know, gives him a report. These are some things I saw, trends, whatever. Completely legal. Yeah. But when you start filming the sideline and looking at signals and, and, and trying to, to uncover those sorts of things, it stinks, dude. It really does. It really does. I mean, I I read the whole thing on, on Spygate. I mean, I mean, I read the whole report and how brilliant they were with Yes, and they're better at it than everybody else. You know, like I'm not, I'm not too naive to think other teams aren't cheating. In fact, like, and I've used this analogy before. Like, if that team's gonna cheat, then you might as well cheat, right? You got to even the playing field. Like, I know it goes down. Trust me. But for them to be as bullish about it in denial, for them to continue to win Super Bowls, for them to continue to flip their nose at the rest of the league, and yet every year it seems like they're in, they're making headway. Uh, you know, headlines and, and news for all the wrong reasons at times. It's like, where there's smoke, there's fire, dude. And I, it, this is unbelievable. Like, you are about to play the Bengals who have one win, and you're cheating? Yeah. Yeah. Because well, that's the what they do. Is, that's what they've been doing. How how, I am know, I, how am I supposed to look at this now and go, this is not tainted at all? Like, we had the Spygate. Yeah. We had the Super Bowl stuff, you know, with the Rams. You've had Eagles players say from the 04 Super Bowl they felt something shady was going on. You had last Absolutely. year's Eagles fake a walkthrough to try and throw them for a loop. Like So if everybody out there knows something's going on, and now we have more proof, tangible proof, that something shady's going on, and the Patriots just keep denying the hell out of it because they're the best at denying it, they're the best at cheating, and every morning when Bill Belichick goes to sleep, he's got to wonder, it's tomorrow D-Day. I mean, it, it's, it's wild. I mean... That, that was the most beautiful thing that I saw in the Super Bowl is the fact, like, there was a point either in, like, the third or fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and the Eagles were beating. Bill Belichick, which sometimes he does, he comes over and addresses his defensive football team, and he looks at Matt Patricia, and they look totally lost, lost. and confused. Yep. And the faces they make, I'm thinking, my God, they have no idea what the hell the Eagles are doing or what they're running. And could that be due to the fact that the Eagles' brilliancy by Doug Peterson to do a fake walkthrough, that they just show so many things that they're like, wait a minute, we thought they were in this type of formation, but now they're running something else that we anticipated this being. And it's, it's just so crazy. The crazy thing is, too, Joe, because they've been under scrutiny for so many years due to all these scandals, the fact that they would still go to yes. the well, if it comes out, it just shows their cockiness. And, and a big fu to the rest of the NFL yep, yep. And, and the and the other owners and, and Roger Goodell and everyone else saying, "Hey, we're doing the Patriots. We'll do whatever the hell we want right. to do." So, well, you also you can't you can't stop doing it, right? Like it's like an right. addict. Like they got to keep doing it because that's what <laughs> they do. And at the same so time, true. you know they win. Well, if we don't win, we all lose our jobs. Like so, to keep that standard, well, how do we win ten games every year? Despite sometimes underwhelming talent. Their defense is always top 10 in the league, always. Even though they lose players, people don't pick them to be good, they're always good. Well, I think we know why now. Because they cheat better than anybody, they cheat consistently, they don't care, 
And listen, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, they won the Super Bowls they won. And it will never, as much as it could ever be tainted, it will never change what has happened, which is they're the champs. So if you're an Astros fan and at some point they try and strip them of their titles or they, they dock them draft picks, guess what? As a fan of the Astros, you went to the parade, you got your proverbial ring, you don't give a flying you-know-what. Well, and a Patriots you, fan's never going to be like, oh, I can't handle this team. Nope, I'm done with Tommy. No, yeah. no, you're you're going to count your rings. You don't care at that point. It's over. It's done with. Yeah, I'm with a great Don Shula. He, he refers to Bill Belichick as Bill Belichick, which is... Wow. Tells you all you need to know. Tells you all you need to know. All right, Johnny Meter, what else you want to get into, my friend? I know we talked maybe a little Sixers, yeah. maybe a little Flyers. Yeah. I haven't watched much of the Flyers lately. I will say, if you listen to this yeah. podcast, I told you I thought they were going to be better than people were giving them credit for. So far, I look like I'm right. Elaine Vigneault's got them playing good hockey. They're getting great goaltending for both Hart and Elliott considering where the goaltending was for this team for a number of years. Um, he seems to be holding guys accountable. And, you know, all intents and purposes, it's been so far a plus season for the Flyers. Hopefully more good things down the line for the Fly guys. Love to see it. Uh, Sixers, they win at home. They can't win anywhere else. What do you got? Well, the Sixers. I mean, some of the bright spots, if we were to look at the bright side, is this team is very talented defensively. When they're playing great defense, it just makes this team a lot better. They're able to score a lot of points, get in transition, make things easy. However, there are some some big issues going on um, right now. The one thing that I see that is a problem, uh, the other night they almost dropped the game against Toronto because they look like a third-grade CYO team trying to break a press, which to me is just damning on the coaching staff how you don't know how to break a press. I mean, it's the NBA. These guys are total professionals at their job. It should not be rocket science to break a full-court press. I'm sorry. The thing that is troubling is that when it comes down to the end-game situations, that if we don't have a point guard that can basically, you know, take the ball and, and just be clutch in that last couple of minutes. And when I say that is somebody who's willing to grab the ball, and if he gets fouled, he'll be able to knock down some free throws. And the other thing is being able to come down and get their shot. When other options are closed, when Joel Embiid, it's just, he just doesn't have it that night. When Tobias Harris is struggling from the floor, they don't have that one guard like other teams. Like, And I know there's few and far between when you have your James Hardings or Steph Curry's, but they need a guard that can basically, number one, get his own shot. And if he can't get his own shot, be able to find an open shot for somebody else. And I think, again, this might come down to at the end of the year, Whereas when it comes down to the final minutes of a game, if we don't have that piece of this puzzle, I think it could be the Achilles heel for this basketball team that will just ultimately, you know, basically come to their demise because they don't have that. So we'll see. The bottom line is this. They haven't played together the starters as a group. You know, they've only played like 12 games together. You know, people have been Josh Richardson. He's been injured. You've had some load, load management details. Some other guys have been out of the lineup. So once this team gets to play a lot more and offensively spacing has become a huge issue, you know, Ben Simmons, it's like when Joel Embiid is catching the ball in the post, nobody else knows what to do. It's just offensively they look lost at times. Last night, Barkley jumped off this. And the other thing is it's very scary is as much as we love Joel Embiid, it still looks like he's out of shape. 
He just doesn't look like he's in the best shape that he could be in. And we don't need the guy to play 40 minutes out of 48 minutes. We need him to go 30 minutes a night, 30 out of 48 minutes. We have other backups that we can throw in there and sprinkle in there. But he just doesn't look like he, he, he's in the best shape right now. And, and that is worrisome. And the other thing is he came out in the media yesterday and said that he's just not able to be himself. I don't know if the, the, the Sixers are curtailing him you know, social media-wise, but he's not having fun playing the game. That's a big red flag. He's still a young player, but it just makes you wonder. Are you, are you all about you or are you about the team? and getting, getting to that final goal, winning that title. That's what it's all about. So, you know, he's got a lot of maturing to do. We'll see what happens. Again, this team is still undefeated at home. They need to improve their road record. They still have a lot of time to play together to kind of just get their chemistry down. But um, there are some things that are a little troubling for this franchise moving forward for them to get to the ultimate prize. But we'll see. Brother of the Love podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Let's jump to the hot stove. It's heating up. Philly's making a couple of moves here. In yeah. Offseason. They had Zach Wheeler on a mega deal to slot behind Aaron Nolan, maybe be that number two in the rotation, gobbling him up from the Mets. Great numbers. Pretty durable pitcher after having Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. And the thing that was impressive to me when I read more about him is the number of pitches that he has in his in his repertoire. Like, He's got a curveball that was devastating last year. His fastball is 97 miles an hour, but he's got three or four other pitches in addition to that that he can throw at times. So I like that versatility. You know, you start going second, third time through the order. It's nice to be able to maybe now drop the changeup, which he didn't throw in the first three innings, those sorts of things. So I I like that signing there, uh, adding some certainly much-needed top-end depth to the rotation. And then D.D. Gregorius brought in from the Yankees, one-year deal for $14 million. And the Phillies, they might be done now as far as big names go, but getting McCutcheon back from injury is going to be huge. Maybe moving Segura now to second base. Gregorius plays short. Do you bring up the, the prospect, Alex Baum, from AAA? Uh, do you put Kingery at third? Do you put Kingery in center field? So there's a, still some stuff to be sorted out. But Joe Girardi is going to have a better lineup than Gabe Kapler had last year. He's going to hopefully have a better rotation than Gabe Kapler had last year. But the one thing that really I think I'm most excited about is having obviously a real manager in town, a guy with experience, a guy that's won, a guy that's been in the pressure cooker in New York in, in Joe Girardi. But a guy like Didi Gregorius wanted to come play for Joe Girardi. And when you get players that want to come play for managers and you have managers that say, I want this guy, I know what he's all about, that is huge as far as the chemistry goes and bringing in the right people. We always wondered about the Phillies' chemistry, their continuity. Do they have the right pieces, the right makeup the last couple years? We've heard things that maybe they weren't the most focused clubhouse. Maybe things were too loose. I think that changes now. I think there'll be a different standard. And when the manager can bring in guys he likes, guys he knows and uh, that he knows will get it done, guys that he trusts to get it done, I think that's huge, and uh, we'll see. But I think some good steps so far for the Phils in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, just to um, – I, I like the Wheeler signing. I mean, $100 million, you look at what some of these top-end starters are getting right now. Um, pretty crazy Garrett Cole when he's getting $36 million, a million dollars a start perhaps, which is just crazy. Anthony Rendon, for those who don't know, I'm sure you might sound out by now, he signs with the Angels. 
for $245 million. Nice to get him out of the division. But, listen, there could be a couple little small moves to be made. I know that John Middleton doesn't want to go over the, the luxury threat, uh, tax threshold, but keep your eye out to see if the Phillies can sneak in a deal with Josh Donaldson at third base, look to trade Segura, put Kingery back in his natural position, which is second base, and I would love to see him stay at second because I think it's such a mind blow when guys have to just pinball between yep. positions. Look at what it did to Reese Hoskins when he had to play left field. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he was playing, like, first base and he was playing left field. I mean, I think it really screws up their mentality at the plate as well. So I'd love to see maybe Donaldson get signed out a deal. And the other, the other, you know, feather in the, in the cap would be if they could find a way to, to sign Madison Bumgarner. Now, he's older in his career. I don't know if he'd want to play here, but – Listen, they could probably give him $100 million for God's sakes and go over the tax. But could you imagine that rotation? You'd have Nola, Wheeler, Bumgarner, Arietta, and throw in whoever you want. Zach Eflin, maybe the, the guy that they're grooming in, in AAA. I forget the pitcher's name that, that, that is promising. But, I mean, those are a couple other moves that, you know, obviously they could be done right now. But all in all, it's been a decent offseason. You've improved your rotation. You get another decent bat, somebody with good defense, with DD and and the works, and you know it's exciting. I, I just I would love to see him make a couple more, couple more moves. I definitely think they need another starter in this rotation. You know, I'm not saying front end guy. Do they make a trade? Um, they were talking about the Tigers possibly trading for Boyd. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But all in all, decent all season and excited that Joe Girardi is the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies for sure. All right, I'm going to leave you with this, John Mead. It's just a quick rant. I don't want to get into it too in-depth because I could probably nah. get myself in trouble here. But I, if you ha- I guess what I would urge our listeners, if you haven't been paying attention to what's going on in the world of hockey... I wanted to ask you about this. Go ahead. I know where you're going with this. I'm it, glad you're bringing this up. Go ahead. It's certainly a, a very tenuous, I don't want to say scary, but maybe tenuous spot for the world of hockey. And I said this to to Kara last night. If this was any other sport, it would be massive, massive news. But because hockey is a smaller community, a fringe sport in a lot of markets, it's not getting a lot of coverage. But there are a lot of stories coming out right now about the hockey community, the quote-unquote hockey culture from the junior ranks all the way up to the pro ranks with hazing, bullying, you know, uh, verbal abuse, worse than that, physical abuse from former players that are now coaches from coaches that are now GMs to current coaches to guys that are in power in hockey Canada and and alike and again I'm not going to say too much because it's obviously a very it's a very fluid situation it can be a slippery slope and you know we're all not perfect certainly but what's going on right now with people starting to come forward with stories of abuse and otherwise is uh it's not good it's not a good look for the sport I know it goes on in other sports. I know in today's society, this is just how we roll. Um, certainly, victims of abuse should feel empowered to talk. It helps the grieving process in a lot of ways. And people that have abused others in whatever fashion it is should be held accountable. But it's certainly, I would just do a Google search, get on social media, try and educate yourself as a listener of this podcast on some of the things are being said and written about right now. A lot of it is certainly very serious, very disturbing, and hopefully can get corrected quickly if it is still a very much prevalent issue 
in the sport of hockey, but uh, it is a it's it's not good right now. It's not good at all. The NHL has set up a hotline that people can call and and tell their stories, share their insights, things that have happened to them growing up throughout the game or currently happening to them in the game to try and get their voice heard a bit. And a guy who's at the forefront of it right now is a former flyer and Dan Carcillo. So if you have Twitter, check out Dan Carcillo on Twitter. He's also um, sort of ahead of the curve on a lot of brain health and CTE and using medical marijuana and CBD and mushrooms uh, for a way to heal himself. He's also been very honest about the things that he did when he played. As we all know, Dan Carcillo was a sort of a flyer as you would expect a flyer to be from an agitator, in your face, drop the gloves, spark plug of a player. But he was also on the line, walking that line a lot, on the edge of the game a lot. So he's the first to admit he he wasn't even damn near perfect. And he treated people poorly. He's since now trying to apologize to a lot of those folks, but asking people to share their stories with him. And now he's promoting those stories. And a can of worms has been opened up in the sport of hockey. It's not all Carcillo, but coaches are getting fired. Stories are coming out. And it's a crazy few weeks for the game of hockey right now with some high high, high-ranking officials and coaches losing their jobs or being put uh, under scrutiny because of stuff they've done or said in years past. So just educate yourselves a bit. Uh, if you haven't already read up or heard stories or listened to a podcast or check out Dan Carcillo on Twitter, uh, because right now a lot's coming out that probably needs to come out, but certainly isn't anything the game of hockey is is very proud of. I've read a little bit of it um, here and there. I've read some stories trying to get the bottom of Some of these stories are very vague on, on what has transpired or what the coaches or the GMs or yeah. have done. It's kind of a little gray. But, I mean, it seems like it, it's it's almost, I mean, I hate to say, but it's almost like similar to like the Me Too movement. It was like, yep. boom, in this country, it was just like, okay, one person speaks out. And then, boom, every other day, it's a new story. Yep. And, like, every other day, it seems like a hockey coach is either, A, stepping down or is being fired. Yep. For, like, bad conduct. Yeah. Like, and and like, some of it, like, Mike Babcock of the Maple Leafs is probably more performance. Yeah. You know, they weren't playing well. But right. as he was being shown the door, you know, former players, current players, other people are just, they're telling stories about maybe how he wasn't the most pleasant guy to be around or some of the things he said or did. And then Bill Peters yeah. in Calgary – you know, they do an investigation because players spoke up. Now you have Jim Montgomery of the Dallas Stars, who, again, yeah. they're saying is not related to abuse, nothing criminal, but something he did that doesn't align with the Stars' principles. He was fired, and they're basically a playoff team. And today, an equipment manager in the American Hockey League had a photo surface from, you know, uh, a party, a team party a few years back, and now he's you know, on leave or fired or what have you. So, again, I, I don't want to say too much because yeah, sure. I don't yeah. have all the facts. But if you're oh, a listener sure. of this podcast, you know, do some research, check it out. It's certainly something that everybody should read up on. Uh, and hopefully some of these situations resolve themselves or apologies can be made and those sorts of things. It's pretty wild. I'm like, because I was literally going to ask you about it. So I was like, wow, man, what do you know about 
everything because, like I said, every other day I'm I'm clicking on a new article. Yeah, it's been a couple. Of, it's been a couple of crazy weeks in the sport, um, from yeah. the lowest ranks to the highest ranks. And you know, I think we could get Dan Carcillo on sometime because he seems so honest and open about it on Twitter, and he's willing to speak yeah. up on it. So might have to reach yeah. out to him at some point, see if we can't get him on, uh, especially awesome. since he's a former flyer. So yeah, anyway, and I, I've, go ahead. Yeah, I've, I've read a lot on Carcillo and like you know what he's doing with his brain in this. Yeah, special center that he's working down in Florida. I've read a lot of stuff on him. Yeah, Bruce Arthur, a sports columnist based out of Toronto. Bruce Arthur just did a real nice piece interviewing Carcillo about a lot of these things um, from sort of his involvement in all of this to some of the brain health stuff and his road to recovery um, because he was, you know, admittedly suicidal at times, anxious, depressed because of some of the brain trauma he suffered as a player. So um, anyway, some... Some interesting stuff there, to say the least. All right, John Mita, 30 seconds. Give us a prediction for the birds and the skins. All right, baby. I'm going 31-13 Eagles. That's right. We're going to find another way to throw 30 points on the board through the miracle. Through a miracle. We'll see what happens. But, you know, I think I think they just they right the ship, and I think they're going to give the rookie quarterback a whole lot to handle. And I think that's going to set the offense up, give us some short fields. So I like 31-13 birds. I'll take 24-13, fly Eagles fly. Let's try and win the division against the Cowgirls. Go Rams, for that matter. And uh, we'll see if this team get back to 7-7 seven and seven and at least show a little bit of respectability down the stretch. Maybe win a division title and host a playoff game. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Probably won't be back at it for a couple weeks. John Mita, I will see you in Philadelphia in a few weeks, my friend. Looking forward to it. Me too, pal. Me too. All right, that'll do it for John Mita. Joe Donald, thanks for tuning in. This is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Till next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. 